Welcome back to a very special episode or one year anniversary of Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos, and I'm CEO and founder at Chenext and I'm here together with Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenext. Alex, how are you feeling today? Yeah, a pretty special moment actually. I can't believe you've uh, put up with me for 52 episodes. It feels uh, feels like we only just started. Yeah, it's been one year. Like it's 52 episodes. When I think about it, it's been it's been crazy. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I think I said in one of the early episodes is one of my favorite parts of the week recording these. And yeah, hopefully we've got a little bit better after 52 episodes. Um, but I really appreciate the listeners who always listen to us and give us feedback and uh, drop us messages on LinkedIn. So big shout out to everyone who's followed us over the last year. Yeah, I, I read this st- statistic that there's only 1% of podcasts who make it past episode 20. And then they said, so if you are past episode 20, you're in the top 1% worldwide. What what percent do you think will be in right now? Yeah, well, yeah, who knows? I th- <laughs> Hopefully the 0.01%, that's where, you, that's where we're aiming for. Joe Rogan coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Very good statement. Uh, awesome. And do you have any particular memory of the last year where you think, hey, that, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind of the, the first year uh, that we recorded? Yeah, my favorite ever moment of the whole podcast is we have a standard introduction every every time and Rick goes, Alex, how are you doing? And then I say, and I panic and I've got to make up something in terms of how I'm doing. I just one episode randomly, you decided to say, what's up? And the whole room just fell about where we had to stop recording for about 10 minutes because it was just so funny. I think uh, Britt, one of our producers has got it on TikTok somewhere. It's, uh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I saw that one and I prefer to not see it again. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was every time it was like, how are you doing? And I thought, well, maybe let's uh, spice it up a little bit. But uh, that yeah, uh, didn't pan- work the, well. The panic on my face absolutely proves that we cannot improvise at all. It has to be fully scripted or it doesn't work. <laughs> Correct. I think what, what after the intro, then we are quite well in terms of like going into discussion, etc. But the first piece, we need some structure. There. Yeah, the most stressful bit is uh, Brit shouting at me because every episode I say, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, because that's just English. Like, that's just what you'd say in England. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, and then she's like, can you say something more interesting? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. And then every, yeah, every week she gives me evil. So that's the most stressful bit. The content, easy. Content. That's what we're <laughs> going to talk about today, uh, the content, because we've done some analysis actually on the first 52, no, sorry, 51 episodes that we have released and looked at what were the most popular topics, where we got the most listeners, where we got the most replies, etc. And we've selected three to touch upon to get some of the learnings from that episode, but also, of course, for our listeners who are a bit newer, an invitation to listen back to those specific uh, episodes. Yeah, we're, we're actually not going to do what lots of podcasts do and just clip it up and send it back out. We're actually going to talk back around those podcasts. And maybe some of our opinions have changed. Exactly. And I think uh, we can start with uh, the first podcast for today, which is episode number two, Remove the Friction. And what we talked about there was that you have your partner journey, where your partners need to go to different phases, and that the most important thing there is to remove the friction. And, and maybe to summarize there, what what is the friction that we see and why is it so important to, to look at that, to, to solve for that? Yeah, I think our hypothesis is lots of brands have similar products, similar go-to-market, similar partner programs, similar pricing structures. And so the best way to differentiate yourself is to be the best vendor to do business with. 
And so we talked a lot in depth on how you can optimize your pricing plan and your go-to-market strategy and your partner program so that you are a pleasure to deal with, right? A lot of the reason people buy from channel account managers who are really nice and fun because they like working with them. But how do you programatize that stuff? How do you capture lightning in a bottle and make it so you can scale it far and wide so that they really love working with you and that can be your competitive edge? Yeah, I, th- I think that's where you first introduce your framework with the three questions. What your partners want to know? Who am I selling to? Uh, for what, what money can I make? Or how much money can I make? And how easy is it to sell? And I think what we touched upon there was that the first two are actually very similar for a lot of vendors because we both want to sell to the same buyer persona into the same vertical as other vendors as well that also how much money can i make like you can only give so much margin or whatsoever as a vendor so it all comes down to number three how easy is it to sell and the balance of those three right yeah exactly how easily can i create opportunities how easily can i close deals what support am i going to get from my distributor my vendor how can i escalate queries Uh, how do i get pricing structure all of those things are hindrances to partners if they don't know how to do it successfully. And so the more you can remove the friction, the smoother you can make that train, the better and faster you'll be able to go. And I think what I love about that is always in channels, sometimes we're playing on the offensive, what's going to be my key next step that's going to crack the game wide open. And sometimes it's as simple as how do we just smooth out everything that we're doing? How do we do it 1% better, get that marginal gains improvement and actually deliver an outsized return? Yeah, I think that's also where we touched upon that it's kind of like a skill, right? The more money a partner can make, the harder it may be to sell and and the other way around. But still, the easier you can make it, that skill is going to balance in your uh, advantage as a, as a vendor. Yeah, exactly. No one in the world has a high revenue, high margin product, right? It's either high revenue, low margin or high margin, low revenue because no one's selling high velocity, high margin product. It just doesn't exist. Why would you give that margin away? But still, the way you can make it work in your favor is if you make it easier and easier and easier to sell, the more margin you can retain, right? That's the whole purpose, right? That's why if you need an IT uh, infrastructure architect to design something it takes nine months to plan out, obviously that solution is going to cost a lot more than, hey, we just click this button and, and the architecture is built for you. What I think is really interesting, and actually it will be coming out in a couple of episodes, is we actually talk about how AI And that's evolved in the last year. That's actually such new information and a new topic. And I think AI can help remove some of that friction as well. So stay tuned. Yeah, 100%. And I think what we did specifically there was look at the different phases of that partner journey. We identified recruitment, onboarding, training, marketing, and co-selling. Which of those phases would you say usually is the hardest one to, to crack the code for in terms of making it easier for your partners? Or where do you see the most struggle? Uh, for me, marketing, 100%. I think um, uh, like there's great learning management systems out there where you can do training or you can even organize face-to-face training via distribution or direct. Um, you are slightly reliant on how well and how good those trainers perform, right? Uh, I think for co-sell motion, as long as you've got the right escalation and the right training collateral, you can get that done. Slick onboarding process with DocuSign and your partner portal. But I've never heard a partner complain that they create too many opportunities, right? If you create opportunities, they will close them and that will keep them engaged. So for me, you want to double down on on getting your marketing absolutely spot on, help your partners create opportunities. And from there, you can consistently win. Yeah, because that's what's going to drive the behavior you want in the other areas as well. Like if they see that, I think that's what we touched upon. And like if you can show your partners there's end user demand, that's where their excitement comes, which makes it easier to get them engaged in your training, smooth on the onboarding, 
make sure you do more co-selling and that they start positioning you more and more to their end user. Yeah, the, the whole idea is if you can remove the friction, do it. But partners will put up with some level of friction if there's lots of opportunities. So the best of both worlds, make it as smooth as possible, but create shed loads of opportunities. And in that way, they go, when they hit a bump or they start bouncing off the sides, they go, it's okay, my pipeline's full of this, so we're really going to commit to really driving business. Yeah, nice. I, I also really like that episode, and I think we touched upon it more times later on as well, but I think that's indeed the mentality, if you have that from your partner program perspective, continuous innovation in terms of where can we remove the friction, just continuously analyze your partner journey, what's the biggest bottleneck right now, and if you keep solving for that, you will get to a very successful partner program eventually. Yeah, we're probably saying it a lot more clearer and a lot less stuttering and nervous now than we were 50 weeks ago. But yeah, uh, hopefully the message still resonates. Yeah, yeah, and don't be too hard on us. <laughs> it was only our second episode that we ever recorded. So. Yeah, I remember having a very shaky voice and sweating profusely. So please don't go and watch the YouTube video. <laughs> awesome. Then uh, I think uh, it's on to the second episode that we're going to discuss or the second most popular episode, which was episode 28. And episode 28 was all about the partner promised land. And I think probably that title has been very appealing to a lot of people because, yeah, we all want it, right? What, like, or we want to dream about it. What does the partner promised land look like from a vendor perspective? That's important in this case. That's how we've uh, been dreaming about it a little bit. But do you still recall, like from your perspective, what... What is the one thing that stood out for you the most from the partner promise land? Well, it's, it's really interesting that these two episodes have both been selected as the sort of highest performing because the partner promise land is what happens if you remove all the friction, right? The two are actually completely interlinked. So remove the friction is the benefit to the partner. Here's how you make it work. But the partner promise land is once you've greased it all and it works really well, then you ha are able to scalably recruit partners, onboard them really efficiently, train them at scale digitally and automatically, create lots of opportunities with really flawless marketing, co-sell with them very effectively, and get into that self-sustainable motion. So it's really great to hear that the channel is really resonating with these messages because it's the same thing, really. We are talking from a partner's perspective, they want a smooth operation. And from a vendor's perspective, they want the outcome of a smooth operation. Yeah, I, I really like that perspective indeed, because if you, I, I recall some of the names we put up to it, to the partner promise and effortless partner recruitment, easy, fast and rewarding partner journey, scalable and predictable partner revenue. And indeed, that's all from removing the friction to work towards that and dream situation that we're all looking for. Yeah, certainly if you're about to build a partner program or improve a partner program, go and listen to episode 28 in detail because those are your objectives, right? In our world at Chanex, those would be your OKRs. What do you, what's the outcome that you are trying to strive for? And really you want that scalable, fluid motion that you can be really dynamic, really capture the hearts and minds of your partners and scale effortless, effortlessly. And like I say, if you get the friction gone, really partners will come and adopt. If there's lots of demand and it's easy to sell, brilliant, I'm involved. Yeah, I, I think that's also what's so interesting that everything is influencing each other. If you look at it, indeed, if you can, within that promised land, you can show partners there's a lot of end user demand. That was one of the pillars as well. That will pull in partners, which will make your partner recruitment more effortless because everyone follows the market. Everyone's talking to each other and hearing about what other vendors are hot, like either from the end user or from distributors or other partners, etc. And it's, it's really a way indeed, like if you get that right, the other stuff will get easier as well. Just as if you're 
Onboarding is super smooth. You get a much faster time to value, therefore more revenue, more partners hear about that again, that they are that other partners are very successful with you as a vendor. It's all like a, it's all like a snowball that's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, exactly. The the best thing about the channel is it's all interconnected, but it's also the most challenging thing, right? If one of the spokes on the wheel breaks, your whole wheel might fall apart, right? And so it's really important that we're taking the care and conscientiousness to ensure that we make everything bulletproof and work as effectively as possible. But like you say, the powerful thing about that approach is when you get it right, you win big. It's not a case of, oh my God, we've got the best partner program in the world. You know who has the best partner program in the world? the best vendor in the world, right? Those things are inexorably linked because you've got great product, great process, great go-to-market, and then you're going to have an awesome channel underneath you helping you scale and win very, very effectively. Yeah. When I think, for example, about that scalable and predictable partner revenue, like what what does that look like practically to, in, in such a situation? Yeah, so the the predictable element is your data element. Like how what leading indicators am I getting from my channel that indicate where my performance will be and where it's not working how can i accurately drive change so a really good example would be we want to close x amount of business in manufacturing in the uk well do we have an understanding how many partners we need and how many deal regs they need to do at what velocity to hit that number and if suddenly six months before that number happens we go oh my god we're actually short of partners great, then we can be very accurate with our resourcing and our focus to drive that predictable motion. And that allows us to drive resources to the right way, meaning that we've got a very efficient and lean channel. Yeah, I think that's indeed what we've been touching a lot upon in that episode as well. Obviously, the opposite of the promised land is what some channels have at the moment where there's no data at all, that we only know sales out list at the end. And it's just hoping that eventually the revenue is coming in by the end of the quarter. And I think that's indeed what we touched upon. Like if you get the right systems in place, if you get the right uh, uh, cadence with your partners in place, et cetera, that you can work towards your quarterly, yearly revenue goals, et cetera, in a much more relaxed way as well. Because if it becomes more predictable, then also you know what to do on a daily basis to work towards that. On top of that, especially from a finance element, having that predictable view allows you to allocate funding really well and let's be honest as channel leaders out there we want to be able to grow our teams we want to be able to deepen our value drive our impact far and wide and a predictable motion allows you to allocate funding the best is actually why we talk so much about roi calculations within marketing because we know budgets grow if you've got really strong roi metrics and you consistently prove them whether when you then say hey i want triple my budget because look how well i'm spending it and look at the outcome we're delivering we're getting a 10 to 1 ROI on that investment, people are like, yeah, great, we'll fund you that way. That's what should be happening. And I love that data mentality because data-informed decisions drive progress. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's also a nice bridge almost towards our last episode, or it was actually not just one episode, but it was more like a series that we did. So I think there was a moment when in a lot of conversations that we were having with vendors, time and time again, we were hearing about like the time to revenue, the time from recruiting a partner to first revenue, that that's the hardest code to crack eventually. And I think then when we were discussing that, we came up with, uh, it's actually like the partner recruit to revenue gap, what we see there. So we're recruiting a lot of partners, but so many are dropping out before they ever turn to revenue. And that was, I think, episode 33 until 37 that we that we did there. What's one of the things there that, that for you really resonated uh, in that episode? 
Yeah, well, it, it's funny because we talked about time to value, right? Um, and we spoke about the longer and more complicated that process is, the higher the churn, right? And the data is very clear on that. If it takes nine months to onboard a partner, you're going to be way less successful than if, if it takes three months. But all the way back to episode two, it's the same messaging. We dove in a lot deeper because I think it was actually our first five-part series where we really explored every facet. But it can be summed up in remove the friction, right? Make your recruiting process to self-sustainable revenue, right? That's what you're aiming for. Partners who can find, open and close opportunities independently, consistently and successfully. And how do you do that as quickly and efficiently and most enjoyably for the partner? And we really explored the mechanics of what that should look like. And a thing that really comes to mind with me as first thing is that we touched upon how important it is to get that partner to the first revenue because revenue drives engagement and then engagement drives more revenue. But if you never get to that revenue point, it's really hard to get that partner to engage with you. So that's why it's so crucial that you have a very clear path to first revenue with very clear steps for your partners, but also show them the finish line. So immediately when you start onboarding that partner, you speak out to each other, like we want to get you to the first revenue within, let's say three months. And these are the four or five steps we're going to take to get you there. Yeah, and for me, I I like the complete other side of the spectrum, that initial recruitment phase where you have to very clearly define your ideal partner profile based on your ideal customer profile at the end user. And when they correlate really tightly, what's the agnostic uh, explanation of what that ideal partner profile should look like? And then recruiting the minimum amount of partners you possibly can and focusing on excellence and conversion. We see channels grow arms and legs and get very big and very slow and and very messy with lots of churned partners. And flipping that out on its head and focusing on time to value and conversion percentage, that's what's really going to drive a channel that's highly, highly successful. Because if you're used to getting a 70% conversion within three months to first revenue, and suddenly you see, oh, in the UK, it's down at 40%. Hmm, why is that happening? What can we do? What process isn't being followed? What do we need to do from a training or a development perspective with our leaders there to ensure they understand how to deliver that format effectively? And that lean channel gives you scalability, but still agility. What you said is the second thing. I fully agree with that around that ideal partner profile. Because what I recall from that episode is that we made the comparison to customer success as well. That if you get a bad fit customer on board, it's impossible to bring them to that value and and to shorten that time to value. And the same accounts for partners. No matter how good your process, if you get the wrong type of partners into your onboarding, then it's really hard to bring them to that first revenue. And you're also diverting your attention to a lot of partners while you can much better indeed go for a very select group of partners and make sure you take them by hand toward that revenue, uh, towards that first revenue. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point and I'm, I'm smiling because actually shout out to Mick who's uh, our head of customer success here internally. We've been sparring for, for months now and I've stolen so much information on him because we've continued to see how correlative partner success and customer success are. They are the same mentality, same profile, the same mindset in terms of actually I don't want loads of customers. I want the right partners who are going to grow, continue to upsell, continue to deliver more value. Those are the types of customers you want. Those are the types of partners you want. And you're still focusing on things like LTV and TTV. And it's all the same statistics and data that you want to manage. So I think 
the more we blend customer success principles into the partner ecosystem, I think the better we do. So shout out to Mick because he's been heavily influencing our thought leadership there. Yeah, I fully agree there. And, and and what I also think, like, if you have less partners, but the right partners that you're onboarding, then you can also give them more attention. And another thing that we introduced during that those episodes was your framework, the three times three rule. And maybe you can touch upon that as one of the last things of today's episode, because I think that's a very interesting framework if you think about partner onboarding and bringing your partner from recruit to revenue as quickly as possible. Yeah, so my my three by three rule, it's something that I've used internally for coaching, but I've used it loads of times uh, within within the partner ecosystem. And it's a matrix where the first three sales motions I do entirely, partners with me, they don't say anything. The next three, we sort of 50-50 those. Um, and then afterwards, I'm giving them feedback around we need to sharpen up here or whatever. And then the last three, they do fully independently where I just watch. And then we you know, sit down afterwards and say, this could have been better. I would change how you message this. I'd focus more on these points with this type of customer. And by the end of it, session 10, they should be able to do independently without me being there. And I find that's a really useful training framework, not only to get your teams functioning better, but also to get your partners functioning better. Yeah, I love that. Like, I, I literally think if you do that, then like you just step by step, take your partners through the most important process. And what I really like is you do it together, but the, the, the tendency that we usually have is, oh, we're going to show it to you every time or the sessions that we do together, you're going to do it completely, but it's, taking those steps first watch and learn and then do it yourself partly but with some support but and then completely doing it yourself and then getting feedback afterwards i think that's the best learning loop and but also because you are very much in the driver's seat with your partner together you drive to revenue together yeah to me it's about having the parallel goals of close that deal because you want the deal but also set the partner up that they are going to be able to close those deals in the future without you whole point of the channel is that we can get leverage by leveraging other people's time, effort, and resources and make me money, right? But that means you've got to front load the investment into ensuring that they are able to do it to a high level. And the more care and attention, the more friction you can remove going all the way back to episode two, the more scalable and the more leverage you can get, ultimately making you a very successful and powerful channel. On its way to the Park and Promise land. Yeah. See you in 52 episodes, guys. <laughs> Love it. Thanks uh, Thanks for sharing today, Alex. Thanks for the last 52 episodes. Uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as we do. And I would say on to the next 52 episodes. And uh, for our listeners, uh, see you next week. <laughs>